going on everybody hello again and welcome back to another episode of the watch report with me jean-luc welch make some noise clap it up get excited wherever you are we are back with another action-packed episode jam-packed episode for you today on the show we're talking about everything that happened last week involving boxing in the nba with canelo alvarez dominating jermail charlo to retain the undisputed super middleweight title how did that fight go down what the world happened to jermail charlo what's next for canelo alvarez on top of the fact that we're going to talk about the nba with the blazers trading away june holiday to the Boston Celtics. What does that mean now for the favorites out of the East? And are they, have the Milwaukee Bucks been matched in terms of talent to have a two-man race for the NBA Finals coming out of the Eastern Conference? All of that's going to be talked about right here on this show. So again, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Leave a like on the video. Comment your thoughts and opinions. Subscribe to the channel and share the show with everybody that you know so we can build up this empire together. That's right. We're on the road to 500 subscribers nine away we can make that happen and from that to a thousand building blocks of this community getting uh built up every single time we upload on this show so thank you so much for taking some time out to listening to this show and without further ado let's get into the action and we're gonna start off with boxing and that means it's time to step into the ring that's right ring the bell let's get it started round one underway talking about Jermail Charlo <coughs> excuse me Jermail Charlo facing off against Canelo Alvarez for the undisputed super middleweight title this past Saturday in a fight that was supposed to be hotly contested undisputed versus undisputed at least before uh, Charlo would strip the second he got announced in the ring for Canelo versus Charlo and when the fight happened it was an outright demolition. Canelo destroyed Jermail Charlo. Canelo absolutely demolished Charlo and Charlo did not put up any resistance at all. It was an outright whitewashing from Canelo Alvarez in, in a performance that just answered that one answered a couple questions and two begged some questions with Jermail Charlo. And what is he actually, what, or rather, what was his actual reason for getting into the ring if that type of horrendous performance was going to be his M.O. on the night? Now, why do I say it was horrendous? Well, now let's break down the fight. Round one came into play. Canelo Alvarez comes out. Jamel Charlo comes out. It's a very cautious affair. Both of them respecting each other's skill sets. Canelo not really throwing a whole lot, more so walking and stalking, trying to get uh, Charlo's reach and timing down. Charlo being wary of the power being hesitant to throw, not necessarily wanting to put too much damage or too much at risk for him against somebody like Ken Alvarez. So again, it was a filling out process throughout. But after the filling out process got interrupted by Canelo throwing one big hook and landing on the block of Charlo, it changed the whole dynamic of the night and the whole dynamic of the fight for the rest of the evening. Because it turned into an affair where you had Charlo now, after feeling, not even getting it clean, feeling the power of Canelo Alvarez on his glove, immediately made him defensive. Immediately made him become cautious, overly cautious. Immediately made him fearful. That's what, and, and it made it so that the way that he fought 
was nowhere close to what we've seen Jamel Charlo fight in the past. Again, this is an Iron Man. This is a lion in terms of his own words. This is a man who wants to go out and get it. This is a man who's unabated by fear. That has been the Charlo brothers' MO, and specifically Jamel Charlo's MO. And because that's the case, with them being so timid due to the fact that he was outmatched from a power standpoint and letting that overshadow all the other things that he actually had in his repertoire that could have given Canelo Alvarez some legitimate trouble, like his reach, like his jab, like manipulating the guard, just implementing similar tactics that Bevo did against him. Again, I said in the breakdown of the fight, he wasn't going to be able to hurt Canelo, but he was going to be able to score on him if he was not overly cautious and willing to throw in volume and utilize his ability to have stamina to overwhelm Canelo. Didn't do that at all. In fact, did the complete opposite of that. And from round one on, he was scraping the ropes all night long, going around in a circle, not engaging Canelo at all, taking the brunt of the hits on the guard into the body. And it was a, a just over out and out fear of what can get him caught. And what happened? He still got caught anyway. Because I believe it was in round seven. Was it round seven? Round seven, Canelo catches him with an overhand right, knocks him down, or forces him to take a knee, excuse me, from the damage. And so he still got put down anyway. So even all that caution still did not weigh heavy in terms of the outright outcome of the fight later on because it didn't amount to anything. And this is the problem with Charlo in this fight. Charlo gave Canelo too much respect. And in the same vein, Canelo did not respect Charlo because of it. We already said that if Canelo doesn't respect, if Charlo doesn't get Canelo to respect him, Canelo's going to walk him down and stalk him down. And that's exactly what Canelo did. Canelo walked him and stalked him. Canelo didn't care about anything that Jamel Charlo was going to throw, not only because he was much powerful and didn't fear the power of, of the punch coming from Charlo but there wasn't even any offense for Canelo to have to worry about to potentially say oh I'm going to get hit at least let me get out the way because he's scoring on me while he's not hurting me it wasn't even that it was just an outright uh, 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 you don't want to throw and you are visibly being scared of me after, and I've tanked your best shot and you're only throwing one or two punches at a time in terms of if you're Canelo thinking about how Charlo's fighting against you. Oh, yeah, I ain't got to worry about nothing. It's all night long. I can just walk and stalk, walk you down, make it so that I don't need head movement. And ironically enough, Canelo used head movement. One of the things I said that was going to give him an even greater shot or rather slam the door on Charlo's opportunity to have any form of success in this fight if he used head movement. Now, it wasn't the exaggerated head movement that we saw from Can Canelo Alvarez when he fought up against Danny Jacobs. No, it wasn't that. But it was subtle head movement and head and shifting of head slots to make it so that he was always in the best of, of safety while using his guard priority in priority to block everything coming his way. Because I said initially he was going to do that same walking and stalking style that we've seen him do for the past couple fights. For the past about year and a half that we've seen him fighting collectively in the ring. And he implemented that. But he added subtle head movement to make it Charlo still be even less accurate in his fights. And he was also, he, and it worked. He did a phenomenal job. He held him to what? 19%, 20 either sub-20 or sub-25% connect percentage all around throughout the fight. So the defensive game plan worked flawlessly. 
Offensively, Canelo was just able to do whatever he wanted and just walked Charlo down, threw big shots left, right, and center, loading up on haymakers like we know he always does, and it caused Charlo to never want to engage in the slightest. And it caused the lion to become a cup. It caused the big talker, the big bravado of a fighter, the man who is so confident in himself to lose everything stepping into that ring. And we saw this be the case as the fight month was going on with media days, with training camp, with him interacting and being asked questions and interacting directly with Canelo in press conferences. It was all different. Everything was different. Nothing was the same when it came to Charlo and Canelo versus what we've seen against Harrison versus what we've seen against countless fighters before this in terms of Charlo's bravado and Charlo's flair and Charlo's out and out unabated confidence. It was immediately quelled. Many people, myself included, put that to he's just being extremely focused with this being the biggest fight of his career both financially and legacy-wise. He wins this fight. He potentially gets put not just in the top 10, but potentially in the top three, moving up from 154 to 168 and, def and defeating the best fighter, not, not just pound-for-pound pound fighter, but best fighter in the division, Su successfully being a two-time undisputed champion with a victory. Oh, it would have made him in in synonymous with greatness. His legacy would have, his legacy as a whole would have been so greatly affected in a positive way. It would have been phenomenal. He would have immediately shot himself up into being potentially one of the fighters of a generation. Uh, potentially. That's how big this fight was. It made him, the, and it would have made him the A-side in any negotiation talks for the rest of his career. There was nobody, if he won this fight, that would have been able to say anything about who's the A-side or B-side in terms of Charlie for the rest of his career. It would have been him. Financially, it would have been set up for life for every single fight up until this point, not just this one. But when he got into the ring and interacted before the ring, it was all docile. It was all categorized under respect, overarching respect, overwhelming respect. And it was respect that became his downfall. He, because of who Canelo was, because of his accomplishments, let the aura of Canelo cloud what he was as Charlo, which is a dog. And he didn't fight like one because he didn't approach his fight like one. Yes, we know he's had and has outside problems outside of the ring, especially with his brother. We've discussed been going on outside of that. We understand the other Charlo brother, Jamal Charlo, was at ringside at night, that night, to support him. Understand him. But beyond that, he had been going, he wasn't there for the rest of the training camp. And we get other problems may have arisen outside of the ring. That may have affected what happened. That doesn't change the fact that inside the ring, within himself, he didn't fight like himself. He did not fight like the Charlo that we know. He did not carry himself like the Charlo that we have seen be out and out confident in his ability to be successful, regardless of the opponent. He did not look like the Charlo that was going to give his all. Especially in this kind of moment. He was timid. He was fearful. He fought scared. He fought in the complete opposite nature of who Charlo is as a man and as a fighter. And the Charlo that we've been touted as bringing to the ring, if he fought Canelo, it would be a different story because he would have a different dog in the fight. Turned out to be a non-existent pup. 
an absolute, a child fighting uh, his, his big brother. That's what it was like. That's what it was like. It was as if Charlo was, didn't want to be there and just wanted to survive. He was complacent with just went surviving. Not even trying to bring the fight. Not trying to adapt to a new game plan. Not trying to do something different when, not, when his initial game plan of potentially, if this was the game plan, of tiring Canelo out wasn't working. Putting, giving any different look to, to Canelo to make him have to think in some capacity didn't happen. And it's because Charlo was complacent with just being there. Lying down. That's what you did. As the big lion that you claim yourself to be, you laid down and let yourself get killed. Or, excuse me, killed would have been knocked out. You let yourself get mauled. And, and in hopes of safety or in hopes of being so cautious, you wouldn't get knocked out, which would have been essentially murder in the animal kingdom. Just to have some form of mercy. That's how Charlo fought. It's despicable. It's despicable. It's despicable on his part, on Charlo's part, and it's impressive on Canelo's part. Because let's, let's categorize this for Canelo. Let's put this in context for Canelo. Canelo Alvarez doing this to Jamel Charlo is, in fact, incredible. Doing this to, at the time, the undisputed super welterweight champion is incredible. Yes, he was the bigger fighter in terms of weight. Yes, he, Charlo had to come up to fight him from 154 to 168. Perfectly fine. In terms of we understood understood context. And if it, if he did win, it would have been one of the biggest reasons because of Charlo moved up in weight. That doesn't change the fact that Charlo jumped at this opportunity. Charlo agreed and had no issue with this opportunity. If anything, we were saying that Charlo was outgrowing his own weight class at 154 and him moving up to 160 or 168 made sense. At least 160. And on top of that, with who Charlo is and who the Charlo's brothers were, this is incredible. Genuinely, it was incredible what Canelo has done to Charlo in that fight. And it's because when I went to go see Canelo fight John Ryder, one of the biggest murmuring uh, uh, undertones of the fight amongst fans was, why is he fighting John Ryder? One and two, when is he going to fight somebody like a Jamel Charlo or a Jamal Charlo? Any of the Charlo brothers. He, Charlo should get this opportunity. Charlo should get this right. Either one of them. That was one of the murmurs when I was going around listen, while watching the fight, listening to other fans in the restaurant. It was a real consensus um, feeling that Charlo, either one of them, was going to be the, the kryptonite. For Canelo Alvarez, if they ever fought against each other. Because Canelo ain't faced a real dog, a real lion, a real menace. That was one of the undertones of that whole affair, of that whole night from where I was sitting. And amongst other pundits, we've been saying we want to see him fight at Charlo. Constantly. We'll be on the restaurant. Just for years, people have been saying, Charlo's, the Charlos are coming. The brothers are coming. The twins are coming. We need to see him fight one of them. Because they are about that life. That was what the Charlo's reputation was. 
And that's the threat that they pose against Kendall Edwards. Not, not, not to mention that he's now fought the better Charlo, the more accomplished Charlo, the historical, the, the more historically significant Charlo with him being undisputed in the four belt era. The, the, Jamel Charlo is the better Charlo of the two. That is true. At least in my estimation, that's how I feel from watching both of them fight. Jamel Charlo is the better Charlo. More accomplished and more talented. The only thing that he lacked was weight. And I thought he was going to come in at 164, 163 when he came to fight Canelo. Boy. What did he come and fight at? 167. Same weight as Canelo. Even though when Canelo was naturally bigger because he had been in the weight class for significantly longer. Charlo still was able to get there. Along with his frame and length. So it, we so where's we saw somebody who had the skill set to be able to legitimately give Canelo major trouble and have these skills and tools physically to upset Canelo, as well as being one of the names that everybody was saying that Canelo didn't want to fight and or that Canelo wouldn't fight ever. People clamoring, give him, give one of them an opportunity, and get tested. Let one of these lions come and try to eat. That's what you all wanted. And look at what happened. He made him absolutely look like a cub. He made him look like a child. He made him look scared in the ring. Which is something I never thought I would say from Jamel Charlo. But from the press conference all the way up until the fight. That whole month, month and a half. Something seemed off. And what we tried to, to play off as concentrated focus. On the fight at hand. Not being loud. Not being brash. Not having the burrito. Trying to focus all of his energy. On the night of the fight. Turned into. Oh this man just wanted to survive. He wasn't trying to focus anything. He fought as if. He didn't. He was afraid. To be in the ring. And to do. And to have the ability. To do something like that. Against a Charlo. Is significantly. Impressive. We're not going to do this whole, oh, he fought somebody that came up to weight classes. Oh, you can't hold it in that same hover. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. We're not, we're not, we're not going to play that. We are not going to play that. We are not going to sit here and play as if we were not clamoring. Or, there, or, or that there wasn't a significant portion of the boxing world. That follows boxing. That wasn't saying that Jamel Charlo or any of the Charlo brothers could be a major threat to fight Canelo. Making fantasy matches. Making, you know, you know oh, if they get in the ring, oh man, it's going to be something serious. Canelo ain't ready for that type of energy. That's what was going around the boxing world. Especially amongst, some, especially against when Canelo fought against the Charlo that had undisputed to his name. That, significantly. A Charlo that was trained under Derrick James. All of that gave credence to the fact that we were saying Charlo could be a major threat, any of them. Let alone the better one in Jamel. And Canelo made him look outclassed. Canelo made Jamel Charlo look like, in a way, made Paul Butler look in their undisputed fight. 
in their fight to collect all the belts at Bantamweight before moving up to Super Bantamweight and knocking out Stephen Fulton. That's what Canelo did to Charlo. He made him look, he made him back up, succumb to all the pressure, be afraid of the power, not wanting to even attempt to counter, make him fight on the back foot all night long, never allowing him any respite or low time, being disrespectful, being disrespectful to Charlo because of not only Charlo's style, but because Charlo couldn't hurt him with his power, walking him down with his hands down, slipping with his hands down, being as nonchalant as possible, tanking shots, literally tanking Jamel Charlo's best shot, and then walking forward with his hands down or with a loose guard ready to attack again. Just outright not giving Jamel Charlo any form of care as if he was anything significant. Treating him like nothing in terms of his approach to walking him down in the fight. Which is what I said was going to happen in this fight. Charlo would not be able to make Canelo respect him in the slightest. And what does disrespect lead to when you're fighting an opponent? It leads to two things. Either it leads to the man disrespecting the other fighter getting knocked out, and or the disrespector who is disrespecting somebody else walks with all the confidence in the world and runs right through the opponent. And that's what happened. Kind of ran right through him. Ran right through Charlo. Ran right through him. Without any hesitation. Not a moment's notice. Didn't care. Charlo's tough. I'll give it to him. He didn't get knocked out. But one of the biggest reasons why he didn't get knocked out because of the fact that he Canelo fought in the style that I said he would fight in in terms of big loading up on power shots while deflecting off the guard and catching punches but didn't fight like I wanted him to fight which is again prying Canelo stylistically using combination punching once you have him in the corner as well as being an aggressive counter puncher specifically with the with the combination punching so many times Kendall Alvarez could have had Charlo out. He could have had Charlo out by round five. If we're being completely honest. He could have had Charlo knocked out by round five. Should have had him knocked out at least by round nine after he knocked him down in round seven. But be, all because loading up on big shots were affecting Charlo. Had him scared already. And it made it so that he was reacting to any sort of movement that Canelo wanted to do. Anything. Regardless of how technically sound or how sloppy it was. Any type, of, any type of level change. A sneeze would have gotten Charlo to react. That's how scared he was of Canelo when he fought in the ring. And because that's the case, if you, instead of throwing max power on all of your punches, if you had thrown half the power with all the speed, you would have opened up so many opportunities because you could have then landed on all the openings due to Jamel Charlo's overreaction easily led him into a punch that you wanted him to go into. Easily. You could have had him out of there because of his willingness not to throw. You could have just gotten the fight stopped by just letting your hands go. Because it wasn't like he was escaping you in terms of Jamel Charlo. And it wasn't like he was hurting you with his punches even when he sat down and, and tried to crack. And it wasn't like the openings were there because you were landing to the body or to the head at will. Everything was affecting him through the guard. And you could, and when you punched 
not around the guard, but through the guard, like you did with that overhand right. Punches were getting through. Like when you doubled up on the jab before throwing a, a, a right hook. Punches were getting through once you aimed at the center guard. That's what could have gotten this fight ended fairly quickly. But he didn't. And again, credit to Charlo. Charlo's tough. But don't say, oh, Canelo ain't knock out somebody that's moving up from 154 to 168. Oh, man, that's a terrible performance. No, it was just still outright domination. Outright domination. Even without the knockout. Even without it. Because if you're running scared all fight long, it is hard to catch you. It is hard to catch you. And we've all, and I've, I've been saying the killer doesn't have the best fast feet. Ability to control distance and get inside with his feet, great. But it's more of a plotting style that doesn't equate greatly to somebody who's constantly in motion. This isn't like David Benavidez who towers over his opponents even with plodding feet and has the reach to reach them even if they're trying to run around the ring. So while he has to stalk, he can still throw at significantly longer ranges than what Canelo can throw to. So he's got to be more methodical. But he still dominated all fight long. That's not bad. That's not a knock. This is against, again, an undisputed champion coming into this fight. This was against an undisputed champion who was the better of the two Charlos that people were clamoring for Canelo to fight. Using them as a barometer for how great Canelo actually is. When's he going to fight one of the real threats? And he's done it now. Don't hold it against him when he dominated and made Charlo look like an absolute punk in the ring by not even trying to attempt to throw any offense. Don't try to hold that against Canelo now when you then go against other people for doing the exact same tactic of running just so they don't get knocked out. You can't be mad at a runner for not getting knocked out in a fight and you want them to actually turn it into a fight and hold it against Canelo for not knocking out somebody that's doing that exact same thing and not trying to fight at all. It's, it's, it, it, it's, no, you can't do that. You can't operate like that. Contradicting yourself. It's idiotic. Stupid. Canelo dominated in such, in such overwhelming fashion that it makes us question if Charlo really wanted to be there makes us question if we if Charlo actually was about that life or if he's been talk 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 all fight long in the competition that he's been facing maybe hasn't been as elite as we as, as we thought and even as a fighter going up against one of the best of a generation when he has the tools and skill set to actually beat him and didn't even attempt something's different yeah, I'm going to look at Charlo differently now. Not saying he still ain't good, but he's now all of a sudden all loud and proud saying, I want to fight Terrence Crawford. Now I'm moving back down to 154. Come on, Charlo. Come on, Canelo. Let's, not Canelo. Come on, Terrence Crawford. Let's get it on. Let's fight. I want him next. Absolutely. Work don't stop. Lions got to eat. But really? Really? Do you? Because this was an easier fight to win if you're, if you're Charlo than if you fight Terrence Crawford. You fight Terrence Crawford, who is a better mover, 
even better at cutting off the meaning canelo pound for pound potentially as strong as canelo a better counter puncher a better in between punches puncher more accurate even better stamina even though canelo had phenomenal stamina in this fight everything that you faced against canelo is better stronger faster and even deadlier if you go up and fight terence crawford but you want to talk big now no uh-uh you're nowhere close to that level now that we've seen this you're nowhere close to that level nowhere close and it wasn't that you were tired you looked healthy if no if right now i don't know if any injuries were apparent in the fight in leading up to this fight and i don't believe any injuries were apparent in this fight for everything i can gather so since that's the case you weren't you weren't handicapped you weren't injured. And you just willingly laid down and submitted. Took a payday and ran. And didn't actually fight. You didn't go for broke. You didn't attempt to make something out of nothing. You didn't try to bring the fight to Canelo. This is one of the things that makes me really respect Deontay Wilder. If we're being perfectly honest. One of the biggest things about this fight showed me that my reference for Deontay Wilder as a fighter, as a warrior, as a boxer, just shot through the roof. Because every time that we, everything I've said, which is true about Wilder not having great technique, not having any form of real boxing ability, not, not great boxing ability, technically all over the place, horrible, absolutely horrible, is a master of one thing, the right hand or the jab leading into the right hand. Everything else is sloppy as can be. Terrible defense, terrible guard. Got a great chin. Incredible heart. Absolutely. One of the biggest hearts and one of the toughest fighters in the world today. He will not, he he will get up even if he gets knocked down in spite of everything. It doesn't matter. You can't intimidate him. He's willing to go for broke even when he knows he's outmatched. It made me respect him so much more. Because despite Everything going up against Jamel Charlo in this fight. Still, he could have gone for broke. He could have attempted to, to, to risk everything, even a knockout, to make a crack at history. Dante Wilder would have done that 10 times over. We saw it against Tyson Fury so many times. Wilder, even when he was outmatched in the second or third fight, would not stop coming forward. Would not. He wouldn't. When he got knocked down, he kept getting back up. If the ref had counted in the knock, in the, when he got knocked out, instead of ending the fight right then and there on the on, when he hit the mat in the third fight with with Tyson Fury, if the ref had counted, he would have been up at seven. In terms of Deontay Wilder, that man will not stop unless he is stopped. And it makes, it, but in the process of that, even if he's outmatched, he will risk everything, life and limb. Pride, integrity, he will risk all of it. He will risk being humiliated to land the shot that he needs to land. You, Charlo has been talking like he's about that life. But now when he went up against somebody that gave him an opportunity to etch his name in history, he didn't take it. He didn't do it. He was complacent. And it's disgusting. It's not about you losing. It's about willingly. You just let yourself lay down and, and submit. 
without attempting to do anything. Outmatched to the point that you know you're going to get knocked out if you try anything. But yet you still don't even make any sort of adjustment. You just say, oh, well, this is life. Let's just go and make it out this fight. Take my money and go again. That's what you did. To make you respect Deontay Wilder so much more. Dying on his shield is what he lived by. A code he lives by. The code of every boxer that we hope they never have to face. But if you're able to embrace that level of danger and be willing to still go out and do everything possible, knowing that dying on your shield is a legitimate, viable option that can happen to you, it's the mark of a, of a, it's the mark of a fighter. It's heart like no other. Charlo now didn't show that heart. That he's been saying that he's got all, all this time. So my cash for Charlo has gone down. Not because of the loss. Because of how we lost. If he got knocked out. Okay. Understandable. Understandable. Moving up in weight. Going up against one of the strongest super middleweights in the world today. The best middleweight in the world today. Super middleweight in the world today. Couldn't take the power. Got caught clean. Couldn't get up. Fine. 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 Or he got beat up all 12 rounds but showed heart and survived. Fine. Phenomenal. But to just fight so defensively cowardly. Cowardly. Not even fighting. Not fighting defensively and using the ring to make it so that you're not cornered. But still scoring shots. Trying to make some sort of offensive game plan. No, just going and circling around the ring. Like Paul Butler, when he was completely outmatched. No. And no, no, it's, that's not acceptable. That's not acceptable. It's not acceptable at all in any way, shape, or form. Makes me look at Charlo differently. It really does. Makes me look at Charlo completely differently. Makes me look at Derrick James completely differently. It's the second time we've seen Derrick James in a high-profile fight against another A-list fighter with his own fighter being A-list as well, not making any adjustments whatsoever. Yes, he was in the corner saying, use your jab and use your length. Understandable. Once that looked, once it showed that that wasn't working or that he wasn't even trying to do that in terms of Charlo, did it give him any adjustments? Did it give him anything to work on the game plan that Charlo was seemingly headstrong in doing himself to have any form of scoring? Did it give him any advice other than stop being a punching bag? Did he give him any advice other than you got to be more aggressive? Did he give him legitimate tactics beyond the first game plan of using your jab to get Canelo off rhythm and off balance? Did he give him anything outside of the first game plan to adapt to the game plan that Jamel Charlo was so headstrong in implementing in order to still find some way of success? Or did he just spout? Did he just spout fortune cookie encouragement? Because that's what it sounded like. This is like Teddy Atlas who would have these incredible speeches in the ring for their corner to make their opponent believe. Freddie Roach, Emmanuel Stewart, wasn't like that. It was outright. You're getting hit. You got to do something. Stop being a punching bag. Stop being a punching bag. Stop being a punching bag. Go out there and let your hands go. Go out there and let your hands go. How? How? How do I be effective while doing that? Yes, it is a viable game plan. Don't get me wrong. But how do I go about it? What's the specifics 
Rather than just cheerleading. And then when you see that that's not working, what advice are you going to give? And in Derrick James' case, it was nothing. When Charlo wasn't implementing what Derrick James was trying to tell him to do, he still didn't give him any other advice to accommodate or adapt to the style that Jermell was forcibly implementing in this fight, which was not throwing anything and being defensively all night long. There still could have been something that he could have said to at least have a plan B, plan C. But if plan A fails, Derek James doesn't really know what else to do. Y'all understand that the fighter has to fight. Again, Charlo was absolutely horrendous. He did this to himself. In the same vein, the advice that Derek James was given wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough. It was not good enough at all. Not at all. It had a nerve to say that Charlo, that Canelo was tired to Jamil Charlo. That now you need to open up. Knowing good and well that Canelo was wide awake and healthy. Breathing easy. All fight long. Horrible. And it makes me question what Derrick James is as a trainer now. He's still trainer of the year. He still earned that title. Issue is now that he's been in these bigger, spotlighted situations. Holes in his coaching style have gotten exposed. He doesn't have a plan B. He doesn't. He, he's not he's not adaptable as a trainer. And to a degree, it may be hindering the boxers that he's fighting against. Now, why do you say that? He just he's he's, he's lost to Canelo and Terrence Crawford, two of some of the best of a generation. Can't hold that against him. Yes, I can. Because now when the one track mentality or the one track game plan that Derrick James has been treat has been teaching. People like Errol Spence or people like Jamel Charlo. When it was working, working, working against every other opponent that couldn't take it, it was fine. But a great trainer is able to adapt and have layers to his game plan when one fails, accentuating the assets of his fighter rather than mitigating his fighter to fall into a rigid style. And Derek James, even though it's worked for Spence, and even though it seemed like it would work for Charlo, now it may work, but up to an extent. And beyond that extent, he can't coach anything. Seemingly, seemingly, seemingly. Not trying to ruffle no feathers, not trying to be disrespectful. I'm calling it like I see it. Up to a level of boxing talent, Derrick James can, tra can train you to victory. But once the game plan A, doesn't work, there's no game plan B that can come out of his mouth. None whatsoever. No adaptability. No game plan changes. No shifts in goals as the fight goes on. It's either that, it's either the one game plan, and then just telling them, what are you doing? Giving them encouraging words that don't even work that well. That's what it looks like Derrick James is. And it's beginning to look like he, we might have given him too much credit as a trainer. It really is. It really is. I'm not saying he's not great. But I'm saying it looks, it looks like he has a plateau. 
He's got a ceiling. He's got a threshold. That once somebody reaches that threshold in terms of opposing talent, he can't get you over the hump. He can't. He can't. And especially now that we see that Charlo, who was able to walk through opponents, and again, great chin, great heart, eat shots when necessary to land what he wants to land, all of that was because of the weight that he's at. But if he once he moves up, that's not going to be a luxury anymore. And he's going to run into people like this all the time. He's going to run into people. If he fought Tim Tazu, this is exactly what would happen. This very thing would happen. Tim Tazu is strong like an ox. Now has one of the belts that Charlo got stripped of because it was given to him because Charlo was out the ring too long. If he went and fought Tim Tazu, we might see the same game plan implemented. If Tim Tazu's power is up to snuff. But if he, but even if not, if he moves up, we could see the same game plan for the rest of his career. Because now he won't be able to just eat shots and walk through opponents like he's been doing. Because he can't afford to. Because he'll get knocked out. And what happens when that's the case? Now that we've known, now that we know what happens when Charlo can't, or when Charlo legitimately is hesitant to power, we've seen now what he turns into which is a fighter that is cowardly and meek and defensively turns into a turtle. Not in a good way. Impenetrable. In a bad way. He turns into a turtle in terms of he just ducks his head and doesn't do anything. That's what Charlo has become. At least in these bigger weight divisions. And at least in this fight. All parties are to blame. This gives us a different perspective as to what Charlo is now as a boxer. Because this same bravado, if you didn't bring it up against, if you didn't bring it against Canelo, and now you want to fight somebody like a Terrence Crawford, you at least spoke in the last weigh-in to try to get yourself hyped up. You face Terrence Crawford, brother, you won't even say a word. If you if you were this timid against Charlo, both in and outside of the ring, you might not even show up to a press conference with the way that with the, with Terrence Crawford, especially with how he not only beat up your boy Spence, but now what you got against somebody like Canelo, you won't say a peep. You won't say a peep. You might not even show up until the night of the fight. Now that we've seen when somebody can legitimately pop you, or when you when you respect somebody, which now we I can actually equate to legitimate fear, you're a completely different animal. You can't have that same mentality up to a certain point. Once you hit a certain threshold of talent, now you become meek, you become quiet, you become timid, you become respectful, but you're actually fearful. So we have to look at Charlo a little differently now. We have to look at Canelo phenomenally. Because this is legitimately impressive. Now it brings me to the next point. Who in the world is Canelo going to fight next? Will it be David Benavidez? Will it be Terrence Crawford? Or will it be Jamal Charlo? The older brother. The middleweight. 32-0. And if we're being perfectly honest, I don't want to see Jamal Charlo. Or I don't want to see Jamal Charlo fight Canelo. Because there's no point. He beat the better version of the Charlos. 
and yeah, Charlo, the, the Jamal may be closer in weight, but he's not as talented, even with his undefeated record. No, uh-uh. It's going to be a, the same thing, if not worse in terms of he'll actually get knocked out because he won't just be defensive. He'll at least attempt to come out and fight. He'll at least attempt to come out and fight. But it still won't be the same. It'll, it'll be the exact same. Domination all night long. Coupled with the fact that I don't really know what Jamel Charlo could give him advice on because nothing worked. Nothing worked. Whatever opening you say you can take advantage of, you can't because you didn't. And apparently you couldn't. What makes you think your brother's got a better shot? But if anything, you had better timing than your brother. And faster than your brother. You should be able to take those opportunities. The holes that are open. That's what you were saying. You've gone to a Canelo fight. You went to the John Ryder fight. And were saying, I can beat Canelo. And you ain't do nothing. Nothing. Now, you want to go through the song and dance again with your brother and you can't give no advice? No, I don't want to see that fight. Uh-uh. I would love to see Dave Benavidez. Absolutely. I would love to see Canelo fight Dave Benavidez now, especially after saying he doesn't care about fighting anybody. And after saying that he will fight just because he doesn't like fighting Mexican fighters because he wants to represent Mexico. He doesn't care. He will fight anybody years ago. Now he's saying, I don't care. I'll fight anybody. Regardless of which, nobody can beat this version of Canelo. Okay, that's fine. That's how, that's how you feel. Put it to the test. And that test would be David Benavidez, absolutely. Talk about a blockbuster event. But before that fight, before that fight, I would want to see Canelo fight Terrence Crawford. I would want to see Canelo fight Terrence Crawford. Especially this, especially this Canelo. The, a healthy, fully active, fully furnished, this Canelo against Terrence Crawford would be phenomenal. Un- incredible. And, I, because, and mainly because I want to see Terrence Crawford have an opportunity in, again, the biggest fight of his career, attempt to become a three-division world champion, three-division undisputed champion in the four-belt era. Something that's never happened before. That would be phenomenal. That would be incredible. I would love it. Absolutely, I'd love it. I would like to see that before I saw Dave Benavidez. Only because of the significance of the event. What is more likely to happen? Most likely it's going to be David Benavides with Errol Spence implementing his rematch clause on Terrence Crawford. Officially implementing his rematch clause on Terrence Crawford. If, if, I've, if I've read reports correctly, and it probably is going to be at 154 if he's notified Terrence, if he's notified Terrence Crawford that he can't fight at one four at um much weight anymore. If that is the case, it's going to be it's going to be at 154. Fine, phenomenal, cool. Still think it's going to end the same, but cool. But if that fight is not, if those reports are wrong and that fight ain't happening, oh, I love to see Canelo versus Terrence Crawford. Sublime, sublime boxing. And I would have Terrence Crawford winning. Yes, I would. I think he could make that history a reality. Absolutely. But how would he do it? Oh, it's going to have to be for a whole other episode. 
Absolutely, it's going to have to be for a whole another episode of breaking down the fight, no doubt about it. But with that being said, the last point of contention with this show, we have to talk about the Drew Holiday got traded from the Portland Trailblazers and is now on the Boston Celtics. And the Blazers have completely retooled successfully, or at least completed the cycle of retooling from the Damon Lillard trade where they sent Dane to Milwaukee to pair with Giannis. In the trade details, Blazers get Robert Williams, Malcolm Brogdon, 2024 first round pick from Golden State, 2029 pick unprotected, and Celtics get Drew Holiday. So let's look at this from two different standpoints. First off, talking about the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics now are not necessarily in a better position, but they are at the same time in a better position. This is what I mean by that. One of the biggest reasons why they were a threat to a, a title out of the East was because of how complete they were. And specifically, with the Bucks being their best rival in terms of competition, outside of the, again, overachieving Miami Heat, from a talent perspective, Milwaukee's the best bet to beat Boston Celtics. And having Giannis going, going against you is a nearly impossible task to guard if you have, unless you have, the bodies to throw in. And with Robert Williams... With Al Horford and with Grant Williams, all of them were were legitimately big enough to have that wall be successful to stop Giannis from being the dominant interior force that we know that he is. Coupled with the fact that Robert Williams is one of the better interior defensive presences in the entirety of the league and is strong like an ox as well, you had depth, you had bench, uh, uh, again, you had bench viability as well as having the defensive tools and the big men necessary to stop somebody like a Giannis, whether it be one-on-one -on, -one on the drive and or clogging the paint as a whole, as a team. But now with Robert Williams gone, now with Grant Williams gone, are the Celtics truly able to stop somebody like a Giannis? Especially now that they got Damian Lillard. And this is where the Drew Holiday situation comes into play. With Drew Holiday playing on the Boston Celtics, they make up for losing Marcus Smart. They get a better version of Marcus Smart overall. They get a better player outright than Marcus Smart because Drew Holiday's better offensive. Again, can average 15 to 20, un un very under the radar in, a, in his stylistic thing. And Outside of how he shot in the playoffs this year, he can be a pretty decent three-point shooter. Way better than what I said about Marcus Smart, who's incredibly inconsistent and takes dumb shots more often than I would like a defensive perimeter-minded def uh, player to be as the point guard. Joe Holiday doesn't have that problem. As well as can lock can lock you up. He can play one through three, potentially one through four, and defend every play, every team's best. Opposition. That's how good he is. And he's a great mind as a point guard. He can run the fast break. He can get to the rack effectively. And he can he, he can be a facilitator for the team. Not saying he's a phenomenal passer, but just doing the right thing at the right time. That's what Drew Holiday can be. And that's what Boston needs. That's exactly what Boston needs. Because Jalen Brown can't run the show. Jason Tatum ain't gonna be can't be a point guard for my estimation. If they want to actually have a legitimate chance to win a title, Drew Holiday fills those holes and improves on their ability to guard a the 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 small ball era of basketball that we see today. And have the ability to defend the perimeter as some of the in, in as 
at some of the best efficiency in the entire league. So it's a phenomenal pickup. But at the same time, what they've gained in perimeter defense, they've lost in interior defense. Yes, they got Kristaps Porzingis, understandable. And if he looks to make the comeback that I think he's going to make on Boston, their best rim protector. Absolutely. Absolutely. This was his, his own offensive presence. Phenomenal. And they got Al Horford, who is really one of the better big man defenders and three-point shooters in the league. And it's one of the best weapons to put on Giannis Antetokounmpo. That's been, it's, and now granted, Giannis still got his. Don't get me wrong. But in terms of causing, being a nuisance and being legitimate stagnation between Giannis and the hoop, Al Horford's been that guy. He has made it tough. He has made it tough. He's made him work harder. He has. And so those are good, but without the rest of the depth of big men, strong big men, like Grant Williams and like Robert Williams, once you, if you sub any of them out, it's a field day. It's a field day for Giannis. It's a field day for Giannis. And on top of that, if, I, if I'm looking at it correctly, the depth chart, they don't have really anybody else outside of Kristaps that's a towering presence. Everybody else is it's, it's small ball for the, rest of, for the rest of the day, for the rest of the, of, of the team. So that could be a factor to make this not work. And they may have to pick up somebody, through, they may have to trade for somebody else, potentially, or pick up somebody for a free agency just to have some sort of added level of size outside of the starting lineup. Because once you get away from Chris Thompson and Al Horford, there's no real other big men that can defend on that roster from what I'm seeing. But that doesn't change the fact that this has separated the Celtics from everybody else except for the Milwaukee Bucks and make this a two-horse race definitively in the East. That's, that's the reality. Guys, what we want to say about what this means against the, boss, the Milwaukee Bucks in terms of for the Celtics as the toughest competition Outside of that, oh, they've cleared out everybody else in the Eastern Conference. There's no Joel Embiid or James Harden. Nobody, there's nobody else. There's nobody else in the East from a talent perspective that can compete with the all-out, fully well-rounded roster of the Milwaukee Bucks and the Boston Celtics. And for the Blazers, it's a situation where now, okay, you got DeAndre Ayton on the roster to replace Yusuf Nurkic, who's looking to have, in terms of DeAndre Ayton, a come a breakout season to show that he's really about that center life and wants to be a dominant player. His words, not mine. I don't think, I don't think he's going to be, excuse me, but hey, only time will tell. But we have DeAndre Ayton, Anthony Simons, Simons, Scoot Henderson on a, in, in a young roster that can grow now that you have a, a more, well, when I say well-rounded, players still suck, don't get me wrong. But at least having Ayton, alongside Simons and Scoot Henderson, allows for people like Simons and Scoot Henderson to better develop because now you're not just lost at sea with only y'all two being the only vocal points of any sort of game plan whatsoever. At least you have DeAndre Ayton who wants to be his own dominant monster. His words, not mine. I don't think that's going to happen. But even still, a driven player in DeAndre Ayton who wants, wanted to be out of the Suns organization gets a fresh start to work with two young, phenomenal, blossoming players that could potentially be stars later on in their careers sets a good 
precedent for a foundation that, again, while the organization still sucks, because they do, is at least in a position to actually build something better as time goes on. As opposed to being stuck in the rut of, we got Damian Lillard, but we have nobody else, and we can't pair him with nobody else, because we don't pair him with nobody else. Now that you have Anthony Simons and Scoot Henderson alongside each other as the two marquee people, you got two people that can turn into legitimate blossoming stars in this league, perennial all-stars potentially as they develop in their career. And then with Aiton wanting to prove himself to be a bad brother, even though, again, his word's not mine. I don't think it's going to happen. But with him being driven, and in a position to where, okay, he actually wants to be there just for the sake of making a new start from an organization that he did not like being in, which was the Suns. It's better than what I thought the Blazers were going to come out of in terms of this whole Damian Lillard fiasco and debacle. It's still bad, but it's better than I expected. It's going to be interesting to track how this team moves forward from here. But with that being said, this has been another episode of The Watch Apart with me, Jean-Luc Welch. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening to this show. Y'all have been beautiful and phenomenal listeners and viewers. Again, we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Rate us five stars on those podcasts and platforms. Share us everywhere so we can please, so we can get as much notoriety as possible and build up this empire together. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening. I've been Jean-Luc Welch. Y'all have been beautiful. Peace and love. We are out of here.